This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. If I could quantify the time I spent in the last week, two weeks, whatever it is, thinking about Easter, like what would my bar chart look like, or pie chart if you like that, right? Um, And if some of you are like, I don't want to ever think about a chart again, that's fine. Um, How much time did I spend thinking about the resurrection of Jesus versus these other things? And, And then I start thinking not only about that, like does the resurrection of Jesus, does it even like move the needle in my my heart anymore right like am i emotionally moved by the resurrection of of jesus if i were to be able to track like an emotional you know ekg thing right like what causes my emotions to rise or fall like where where would my like where would my heart level be when i think about the resurrection of jesus versus easter egg hunts or whatever it is and i just started wondering like has the reason that we celebrated Easter, has it just become kind of commonplace and, and kind of stale? And, and if I'm being honest, absolutely it has, right? Like I, I am thankful for it and I do celebrate, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, it kind of, it kind of loses its wonder a little bit. And maybe that's because of, of culture and how we've you know, you know, marketed Easter. Perhaps it's because there's a, I don't know, 2000 some odd year time gap between the event of the resurrection of Jesus in my life. Perhaps it's because I just don't really think about or believe that, that Jesus is present tense actively alive. Like maybe I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. But like, do I really think that or, or live that? And I just started, I just started wondering. And, and so the, the title of this sermon that, that I came up with, and, and I don't, like I don't typically give t- like titles, but it's just like Jesus is alive. So what? Right? Like, what does that actually matter to us today? Like, we we can say that all day long. We may believe it cognitively, but Jesus is alive. So what? Like, what what's what's it? Why is it important? Why should it grip our lives today? Why should it be transformative to to who we to who we are? I don't want to just fake emotion. I don't want to just fake like an excitement that Jesus is alive. I don't want to walk around and be like, he is risen. You know, he is risen indeed, right? Is that the, is that the back and forth that people say? Thank you. Thomas is like, man, there's my Southern Baptist roots there, right? Like, yeah, like I don't want to just like fake this excitement. Like if Jesus is alive, I want to really be moved by that. Like I want to be authentic about it. I don't want to just put on some show because it's Easter. So why should that matter to me today? Why should that matter to us? To answer that question, I wanted to, to look at Peter. Peter after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. You're free to take. You're free to hop up now and grab one. The verses will also be on the screen. Um, so, so however you prefer to, to learn or to read, uh, we're going to be in Acts 4. We're going to look at Peter. And, and this, this takes place after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus spent 40 days on earth and then ascended back to heaven. So the physical body of Jesus, the physical person of Jesus is now already reportedly ascended to heaven, right? So Peter's not like, like hanging out, touching 
Jesus anymore at this point, right? So he's, he's living in a similar place that we are, trusting, okay, he can't see or touch Jesus. He's trusting that this, this Jesus is alive. But we look at Acts 4 and we look at the life of Peter and, and okay, let's just read it. Acts, Acts 4, starting in verse one. And we're gonna read um, through verse 22. And as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now the Bible says men here, and let me just go ahead and say that's men and women, um, right? It's, it's referencing both, it's just, it, it, the Bible is written in a patriarchal society. It was just common just to say like, hey, you know, all the men here like are, you know, we, we you know, mankind, right? Like that doesn't just mean male, that's, that's people. Right? And so the Bible's talking that, that men, women, we can assume children are coming to believe in Jesus at this point. Verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. The, those names should ring a bell. We'll come back to it. And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Right, so they're referencing um, a, a day or two before when there was a, a man that was lame. He'd been lame his whole life. And he's begging for money from Peter. Peter and John come to the temple for prayer and he's asking for money. And Peter says, hey man, I don't have any money to give you, but what I can give you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this man who had never walked stood up and, and walked, right? That caused what you might call a scene, right? Like imagine that, right? Uh, you're in an environment with someone that is known to have never walked, all of a sudden dude's walking, right? That's gonna cause a little bit of a scene, right? And so the people are kind of freaking out because there's a scene being caused around this name Jesus, around the person Jesus. We'll, we'll come back to why this is a big deal for them again in, in just a minute, right? So that's what they, they're talking about here. By what power, in verse 7, or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Side note, gosh, I hope that's said of me. Like, sure, the common, uneducated, whatever. But that, but that what's different about me is that I'd been with Jesus. I hope that's said of us. That's like, I don't really know what's going on with this person, but they got something going on with Jesus, right? Like, that's what stands out to these people. They're common, they're uneducated, but dadgum, they've been with Jesus and something's different about them. Okay, we'll keep reading. Verse 14. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they, the rulers, the high priestly order, called Peter and John in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So let's get some context here. You've got Annas and Caiaphas in the high priestly order commanding Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. Quit, quit telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. They, they, they hated Jesus. It had been their mission to remove Jesus to the point where they conspired, falsely accused, falsely tried, falsely condemned, and executed Jesus. It was their goal to shut down the spread of the name of Jesus Christ. This is a, a historical governing faction that is seeking to destroy the spread of Jesus. Why? Because if King Jesus rises up, guess who loses power? These people, right? If Jesus is more worshiped and in more power, then they lose their power and they don't want to lose their power, right? So they seek to kill Jesus. And now these guys are going around causing a scene about the name of Jesus. Quit talking about Jesus. We're trying to kill this thing. We're trying to squash it. Shut up, right? How do Peter and John respond? Hey man, you, you judge, you can do what you got to do. But we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Right? That's a, that's a bold and confident stance, right? Like, th these are not just some, some, like, you know, street bullies. These are not just some people that are like, hey, you know, can you not do that? Like, these are the same people that had just 40-ish or so days earlier executed Jesus, the exact same rulers and authorities that, that arrested him and condemned him and tried him and had him nailed to a cross as a criminal. These are not just some, some toothless like hecklers, right? Like, like these are people that if they so desire could have Peter and John killed. They can figure out a way to have them killed. Now, that's tough for us to, to wrap our minds around because by the grace of God, I'm guessing most, if not all of us, have lived the majority, if not all of our lives, in a free country where we can speak of the name of Jesus and we might have some hecklers or we might have someone tell us we're dumb, but we are probably not risking our lives. Right? It, it's probably not going to come to that. And so it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the boldness and the courage here. But, but imagine that, that we live in... Uh, you know, a, a radical, uh, you know, country that wants to kill Christians, that wants to eradicate the name of Jesus, and we get arrested by, by that authority, 
and we're told, hey, don't speak of the name of Jesus. And we know, we've seen enough news, we know that they will back up what they're talking about. We really could die if we continue to speak about the name of Jesus. There would be some trepidation, right? There would be a consideration. Maybe I'll be quiet. Maybe I'll stop. That's the scene that Peter and John are in. Are, 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 are you there? Are you with me? Which is wild. Because the, the, the last time we heard about Annas and Caiaphas, Peter was acting totally different. Right? Look, turn, if you have your Bible, to the left, Luke 22. And let's see the, the last time we see Peter and Annas and Caiaphas talked about in the same conversation. If you didn't know Luke and Acts were written by the same person, Luke, many people just call it like Luke 1, Luke 2, however you want to read it, like it's one story. And so Luke is writing the same story here of before Jesus and then what happens after the resurrection of Jesus, right? And so Luke has written about Peter and Annas and Caiaphas in Luke 22. It says in verse 54, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house to Caiaphas' house. They being the mob of people that would like to kill Jesus, arrest Jesus, and bring him to trial before Annas and Caiaphas and the high priestly order, right? The same people that Peter in Acts 4 is standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with. Luke 22, Jesus is the one standing on trial with that group of people. What's Peter doing? Peter was following at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So Luke 22, you've got Jesus on trial with Annas and Caiaphas in the high priestly order. Peter is in the courtyard at a distance, keeping his safe space between him and the ruling authorities, right? Watching, observing what is going on. And so he's sitting, Peter, at a distance around the fire, and it says in verse 56, a servant girl seeing him, a servant girl means, this, this girl was a teenager at best. Right? She was a young girl, a young teenage girl with zero social or political authority or clout. No one would listen to what this girl had to say. That's just the facts of the time. A servant girl sees him, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with Jesus. But Peter denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Acts 4 You've got Peter on trial before Annas and Caiaphas in the high priestly order. And they're like, hey, stop talking about Jesus. And Peter's like, man, do what you gotta do. I can't stop talking about Jesus. 40 days or so before that, Luke 22, 
You've got Jesus on trial with Annas and Caiaphas in the high priestly order. Peter at a safe distance in the courtyard watching and is asked by a slave girl and then another random man and then another random man, hey, don't you know this Jesus? And he vehemently denies it. He passionately curses knowing Jesus and rejects association with the person of Jesus. Something changed between Luke 22 and Acts 4. Peter wasn't even being questioned by the authorities in Luke 22, and he's denying Jesus. Now he's standing before the ones who actually can kill him, and he won't take the name of Jesus out of his mouth. Something changed in the life of Peter that was a dramatic transformation in him. What was it? Easter. His wife hits him. Gosh, come on. Easter, the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Peter. Easter was not just some event, was not just some, you know, celebration, some party to gather with friends and family, although they definitely celebrated in the years to come. It wasn't just something where they had, Easter changed everything. It, it completely transformed Peter's life. Now, why? What was it about Easter that changed everything? Verse 2 of Acts 4. So go back to Acts 4. When Peter and John get arrested, the, the authorities are greatly annoyed because Peter and John are teaching and proclaiming that in Jesus is the resurrection of the dead. Peter won't stop talking about Jesus, and not just about Jesus, but that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. You see, before Jesus rose from the dead, Peter's hopes, his life, his dreams were dead. Not physically, but figuratively. All hope was crushed, all hope was, li- was lost, but if Jesus is actually alive, then hope is alive. His promises are alive, his words are alive. The, the mission continues forward. And so Peter won't stop talking about Jesus is alive because everything became alive again when Jesus rose from the dead. Let, let, let's just remember Peter's story a little bit. Right, Peter is a blue collar fisherman. He's just struggling to, to make ends meet. Because he's a fisherman, means at some point he failed out of school. He wasn't smart enough to keep going up the ranks. So he goes home and he learns the trade of his father. And he is a blue-collar fisherman. And along comes Jesus and invites Peter to drop and leave everything and follow Jesus. Leave your career. Leave what safety you have. Leave what you think is best for your life and follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the hope, the answer to the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Peter drops and leaves everything. Peter's all in. He, he, he gives up everything. Right? Can, can you imagine right now if, if, if you just had this word from God that you were to leave your career and your safety and your security and go and venture out and, and, and take the name of Jesus to an unknown place. Like the trepidation that would come. Peter's a married man. Like, how do you think that conversation went? <laughs> hey, babe, I know that, that we rely on my income, but I met this guy, Jesus. You know, like, there's a lot of nerves in this. 
But Peter's all in. His hope is fully in Jesus. He trusts and believes Jesus. He believes Jesus so much he would give his life for him. He would give everything for him. How do we know that? Well, the, the New Testament's record that when the mob came to arrest Jesus, literally a, an armed mob comes to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword, and he's like, let's go. And he just starts swinging, chops off a dude's ear. Like only the ear, which is incredibly either like inaccurate or accurate. I don't, like it's, it's fascinating, right? And so Peter is, is ready to, to go down with the, like he is ready to die for the cause of Jesus. He is all in. And what does Jesus do? He tells him to stop. And he picks up the ear and he heals the man and he turns himself over. Like, put yourself in Peter's shoes here, right? Like, I, I used to think that Peter like, rejected Jesus, was angry with Jesus, was, didn't believe Jesus anymore. I, I think Peter was crushed that he had given everything to follow Jesus and Jesus didn't hold up his end of the bargain. That, that Jesus didn't even fight back. That Jesus came talking about this kingdom of God that he was going to bring in and how he was the Messiah and how life was found by following him and Peter was in. And then Jesus just gives himself up. Peter had seen Jesus walk on water. Peter had seen Jesus feed the five. Peter had seen Jesus raise the dead. Why would Peter not think, man, we can go to town here because even if I die, Jesus can raise me up again, right? Like Peter had given everything to follow Jesus and now Jesus, without even speaking a word, let me just gives himself up. Can you imagine perhaps the feeling of betrayal that Peter felt? I left my job, I left home, I gave up everything for you, Jesus, and now, not only is it over, but you don't even put up a fight. Like, try to put yourself in Peter's shoes there. The, I just think he felt incredibly disappointed and betrayed and crushed. His hope was crushed. His, his life was, was over. Everything he believed in was done, dead with Jesus. I can't imagine the disorientation that feels. Your life is flipped upside down. And that's where Peter was until Jesus rose from the dead. And Luke tells us that it was the women first, Mary and Mary and Joanne and probably another Mary. There's a lot of Marys, right? They, they show up to the tomb and the stone is rolled away, right? And Luke, Luke records that they, they walk in and the, the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they go back and they tell the disciples that, hey, Jesus wasn't there, he's alive. And, and Luke says that the disciples didn't believe it, but Peter takes off running to the tomb, right? Everybody else is just kind of sitting back like hope is lost. And Peter, something sparks in him and begins running to the tomb. And it says that he, he goes and it's like, I just, I just see this scene where he's like, you know, it's like a movie and the, the music play like changes. It's like picking up, right? Because, because hope is, is, 
is resurrecting for Peter. Maybe, maybe there is a chance. Maybe Jesus is who he said he was. Maybe Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then so are his promises and so are his words. And so is the, the Messiah, the King of Kings, who's coming to bring in restoration to any and all who follow him. If Jesus is alive, I can imagine Peter wondering, if Jesus is alive, then he is our hope and he is our truth and he is our answer and his promises are alive. I mean, what a, whew, what a roller coaster for Peter. But at that point, everything changes because Peter knows I can, I can trust and believe in Jesus. If he is alive, his promises are alive. Imagine, right, imagine that, that you're, I don't know, imagine you still live at home or whatever, and your parents are, are going away for a work trip, but they're like, hey, when we come back, pack your bags, because we are going on an all-expense-paid trip to Greece. Greece is a dream destination for us, so that popped in my head here. And it's like, you know, like this excitement of just like beach hopping for a month or something, right, and just like lounging around, this incredible trip, and you're so excited about it, and you can't wait for mom and dad to get back from work because, because you're going to Greece for a month. How amazing does that sound right now? And then you get word that an accident happened and that your parents were, were killed while on that trip. Like, the devastation of lost loved one. But, but let me ask you this. Are you still going to Greece? No. Right? If, if your parents who are going to take you to Greece, giving you that promise, if they, if they are dead, then so is the promise to go to Greece. Right? That, that trip is off. It's no longer happening. But then, come to find out that the, the wires got crossed and your parents actually are alive. Right? So, so not only do you have that relationship, but guess what else is alive? You're going to Greece! Come on! That, that trip, that promise... It's alive, right? If, if your parents in that scenario are not alive, then so are the promises. You're not going to Greece. But if your parents actually are alive, guess what's still alive? The promises, you're going to Greece. And so for Peter, he's like, man, if Jesus is dead, everything he said is dead, right? All, all of these promises are, are done. Dude, why put your hope in him? He's dead. How would he be the way, that, how would he give us abundant life? He's dead. But if Jesus is alive, then so are his promises, so is his hope, so is his life. And so for Peter, when he realizes that Jesus is alive, his hope is resurrected. What he thought was dead is resurrected. His dreams that he thought were dead are resurrected. The path forward that he thought was dead is resurrected because with Jesus comes the promise of life. And if Jesus is alive, then so are his promises. That's true for Peter. And unless something's changed that we don't know about, that's true for us today. If Jesus was alive then, and his promises were true then, unless he's proven to not be alive and he's still alive today, then his promises are true for us today. He is our hope. He is our answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Second thing I think of or when we read here 
that, that was so transformative for, for Peter is that Jesus, if he is alive, he is the savior of the world. If Jesus is alive, then salvation is in him. That's what Peter said in verse eight, filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to tell him rulers, the, the people and elders, if we are being examined today, Concerning good deed done to a crippled man by how this happened, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. If Jesus is alive in Acts 4, and Peter says he's the savior of the world, then Jesus, who is alive today, is the savior of the world. Salvation is offered to us the same way it is offered to Peter. Jesus came saying he was the Messiah, that he was the one to restore a broken humanity to a relationship with God. And that for all who trust him and follow him, that, that he would give them life, new life with God. Well, Jesus is dead, and that's, an empty promise. But if Jesus is alive today, then he offers us salvation. How does that happen? I'm a, I'm a visual learner, and so I'll give you some, some imagery here that we oftentimes use to tell the story. We were created to have a relationship with God. Psalm 1611 says, the fullness of life is found in his presence, the fullness of joy, right? God is is the source of all joy, all love, all, all life. And, and God existed for all of eternity as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, giving that love within himself. Amazing fact, God did not need us. Right, like God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't need us to come to Easter, otherwise he's gonna have a bad Easter, right? Like God is good within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is great news for us because if he needs us, that's a lot of pressure on our shoulders. Right, like how am I going to satisfy a, a deity? Right, it's good news that God doesn't need us. So why did God create us? Because he wanted to share in his divine communion with us. Because love is outwardly moving. Love is outwardly giving. If God is love, then it moves out. And so in love, he wanted to create a world to share in that divine joy and love with him. And so God creates Adam and Eve in the world to share with that. That is God's design for us, our purpose. The problem with the world is that we have all chosen in our infinite wisdom as humans to go our own way. We have all chosen that, uh, you know, we probably know best. Our logic makes more sense. The Bible calls that sin. Is sin a list of, of things that we shouldn't do? Absolutely, right? But sin is mostly us choosing ourself over God. Sin begins in our minds and our hearts well before it comes out with our hands. It's us believing and choosing that we are better, that our way is the right way, and it's going our own way rather than the way of God. That's what happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. They didn't trust that God was better. They believed that the fruit which was pleasing to their eyes was they could make their own choice. And so they chose to go their own way and that separated themselves from God. The, the problem that we have as people is mostly a separation from God. We're created to thrive in his presence. Sin separates us. That is the chief 
problem at hand for us is that we're disconnected from God. Well, Jesus came and said he was the Messiah who would restore right relationship with God. How does he do that? He comes and he lives among us. He lives a perfect life. He lives in our place. Listen, God expected and still does, expects you and me to be holy. If God is who he says he is, then God expects for us to have a relationship with him. We must be holy. I'll be the first to raise my hand, but I have a feeling it'll be 100%. None of us are holy. We all know. We all know, right? Whatever the metric is, whoever the metric is, we fall short at some point in some way, right? We're imperfect people. We all know that. So if God expects holiness, well, well how, do we, how do we do that? Jesus came and he fulfilled that for us. He, he aced the test, right? He, he lived a perfect record in our place. Okay, well then what happens with our record of guilt and, and debt, right? If I, if I get pulled over for speeding and I get a ticket, well, there's a, there's a fine to be paid, right? There, there, somebody has to pay that debt. So if I have sinned against God, how is my debt paid? Jesus went to the cross so that on the cross, my record of sin could be nailed to the cross with him. My debt could be paid by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The reason Jesus gave himself up was so that he could go and be the sacrifice in our place, so that he could suffer the punishment for our sin. Now again, if it ends there, look, Jesus has come to us, but we still have no way to be restored to God. If Jesus is still dead and the story ends there, we, good story, thanks Jesus, but we have no hope. It's still on our shoulders to figure out a way back into a relationship with God, which is why Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, changes everything. Because when Jesus rose to, from the dead and ascended to heaven, he made a way for us to be restored into relationship with God. Jesus did everything. He fulfilled the perfect expectations that we should have fulfilled. He died in our place, and then he rose from the dead and led the way for us to have a new life with God, our sins to be forgiven, and for us to be declared righteous. None of us are perfect, we know it. But when we trust Jesus, he gives us his right record. And God sees the righteousness of Jesus covering us and declares us to be righteous. Th that's the message of the gospel. That's how Jesus brings salvation. That's how salvation is only in Jesus. It's not in my own works. It's not in your own works. It's not in someone else. It's only through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The invitation that Jesus gives is, will you trust him? If he is alive, then that invitation is still valid. That invitation is still true. If Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive, the invitation is given to you and to me and to Peter and to John and to anyone and everyone who will trust in him. The question is, do we receive the invitation? But only by the resurrection of Jesus is it possible. The last two things, and these will be a lot, lot quicker here, that we see from Peter is that in the resurrection, if Jesus is alive, then, then, then the presence of God really is with us. It's not just some idea, some, some good like memories of Jesus, but the presence of God really is with us, right? Verse eight, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit 
said to them, right? The courage and the boldness that we see in Peter is only present because the power of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus lives in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that for, for all of those who are in Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. The Bible teaches, Jesus promises that when we trust him, his Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. Our spirits are fundamentally different. There's something new about us. The power of the risen Savior is with us. I think a lot of times, you know, have you ever had someone pass away and you're like, oh, you know, like, like Grandpa is still with us, right? His, well, maybe like, his, like his, his memory is with us, but like Grandpa himself is not with us right? There's a big difference in the memory of someone being with us versus the actual presence of the Spirit of God with us. If Jesus is alive, then he is with us. We are never left on our own. We are empowered and equipped with everything we need to live according to the way of Jesus, those fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, self-control, and that is maybe most of them, right? Like, that's not something we're like, man, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna get love down, then I'm gonna move on to patience, right? And then one day I'm gonna get patience, I'm gonna figure that out, and then I'm gonna grab on to self-control. No, if the spirit of God is in us, we have those fruit. It's there. It's learning how to walk in it. But the fruit of the Spirit is among us. We have the power of the risen Savior. Y'all, we live like everything's on our own strength. Right? We live powerless, not realizing that the risen Savior, his Spirit is in us. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything. There's a power that comes in us through him that changes everything. And so Peter, we saw the two accounts one, he's cowering before a slave girl and some random people. The second, he's boldly telling the people who can actually kill him, hey, do what you gotta do, man, but I gotta keep talking about Jesus. That comes from the spirit of God in him. Isaiah 43 is some of my favorite verses in the Bible, 43, one and two. It says, now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. And the Bible tells us that life's going to be cha challenging sometimes. How many of you have just skated through life without challenge? Okay, cool. None of us. Good. No, it's going to be tough. There's going to be dips in our life that we never saw coming. There's going to be challenges that we never expected. There's going to come the day when the earth gives way beneath our feet and the safe walls of the world that we created start to crumble. A day will come for all of us. There we go. Man, dude, let's preach it. Come on, hop up here, dude. That day's coming. But the promise of the Bible, if Jesus is alive, is that we don't go through those days alone. That when the water rises, he is with us. And when the fire heats up, he is with us. I mean, that's just, that's just good, positive thinking if Jesus is still dead. 
But if Jesus is alive, then that is true. If our faith is in him, he gives us his spirit, we are never alone. Ephesians 1 says there's a, the immeasurable greatness of God's power at work in us. Love that phrase. The spirit of God in us is immeasurably great, more than we can even imagine. Not if Jesus is dead. But if he is alive, and that promise is alive, the spirit of God is with us. And lastly, if Jesus is alive, then he is worthy of our full surrender, our full praise, our full devotion, everything. Look, I understand if, if, you, if you don't believe this, that's, I get it. I get it. Our faith is that the God creator of the world became man to, to lead a broken people back to God. And not in how like most people try to get things done, which is like with an iron fist and just eradicating everyone who's wicked, because if that's the case, he's eradicating all of us, right? But Jesus comes, God himself, to, to serve among us, and not just among us, but to serve us. Look, you, you know, you know as much as I know how, let's not sugarcoat it, how wicked we are. You know whether we've acted on it or if it's just been internal thoughts, how embarrassed we would be if everything was put on display. We, we know. Jesus knows that. And yet he chooses to come and to wash our dirty feet. He, cho he chooses to come and to bring us close and to pull us near. So we believe that God becomes human. We believe that he is born of a, of a virgin teenage girl. We, we believe that he is fully God and fully man and lives a perfectly sinless life. We believe, and honestly the miracles are probably the easiest to wrap our heads around, right? We believe in these miracles and we believe that, that, that Jesus was crucified in our place as a substitute and that our full record of sin was nailed to the cross with him and that he was, he was dead, like dead, clinically, like dead. Like dead. He was dead and buried and then just walked out of a tomb and lived another 40 days on earth and then ascended to heaven still alive and that for all who choose to trust him and follow his ways, he gives us his spirit. Look, look I get it. If you don't believe it, I get it. I understand that. You're still welcome here. I promise. Right? This is a safe place to doubt and have questions. But if it is true, and Jesus is alive, and by faith in him, we are united with God by his spirit forever. If he is still alive, he is worthy of everything. Who else? Who else has done that? If he is alive, I mean, just, I just sometimes like to role play, like standing before him, just being like, oh man, I was like, 
or I wanted to sleep in. You know? Like, oh man, I was, I was nervous that they might laugh at me. I really liked the way that felt. Like, I just try to roll, like, I don't want, like, he's worthy of everything. If Jesus is alive, he deserves our full affection and devotion and praise. His promises are true, his promises are alive, his invitation is real and present today for us. I said, Peter in Acts 4, Jesus had already ascended. He's living this life. He would live his life, surrender to Jesus until the day he was killed for his faith. I just call me crazy. You don't do that for a dead man. You know? May, may we be a people that they give him the right praise. They give him everything. If he is alive, he is worthy to be hailed as king to be celebrated as the risen Lord. He's worthy of our full devotion and surrender. He's worthy of our confession and repenting and getting back up and trying again. He's worthy of our honesty. He's worthy of everything. And so I pray and I hope and I've been asking for God to cause each one of us to taste and see that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is alive and he's worthy of our praise, our trust, our devotion. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.